Welcome to the Vitality Shift Podcast for Chiropractors. I'm your host, Dr. Don McDonald, author of the best-selling book, The Underdog Curse. Weekly, we will be interviewing amazing chiropractors from around the world, finding out how they made their vitality shift. If you're a chiropractor that either wants to just move your practice away from treating pain and conditions, or if you just want to stay inspired, this podcast is for you. For more information on past shows, please visit www.drdonmcdonald.com, and I hope you enjoy the show. Well, hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of the Vitality Shift Podcast for Chiropractors. This is Dr. Don McDonald, your host, and uh, today I get to bring uh, a, a mentor onto the podcast who I get to meet real time for the first time today, but I've listened to him and Dr. Patrick Gentempo years ago. I've been in practice for 25 years. And, and before we even started, I said, I, I had the old cassette tapes and we, we had, we upgraded to the CDs. And so he's always been a, a really a huge part, part of inspiration and certainty for me as I was um, a young whippersnapper in chiropractic. And so I'm super excited to bring Dr. Christopher Kent to the podcast. Welcome. Well, wow. well, thank you. It's really fun to be here and to hear about the influence that On Purpose had for you. And the you said 25 years, 26 yes. years. Yeah. Yeah. Um, on purpose is 29 years old. Wow. And 1973, when I graduated from Palmer, uh, was a magical year. And next year will be my 50th year as wow. a DC. Wow. And, and so, uh, yeah, that's, that's wild. I just went for my 25th year anniversary at yeah. Palmer. And so you'll be going for your 50th, which is, which is amazing. And, and since then, well, I'll get into this, but, uh, um, there's a couple of stories that I remember from on purpose that maybe I'll get you to, I'll ask you about here in a second, but first of all, how did you get into chiropractic? It was really kind of interesting. I was trying to decide what to do with my life and I was in college at the time, just started. I was about 16 years old. And I thought, what do I want to do with my life? And I knew I wanted to somehow be involved in helping people realize their potential. So I assessed several opportunities. I thought about medicine. I thought about psychology. I thought about naturopathy. I thought about all kinds of healthcare profession related things. And I didn't really know much about chiropractic. Well, my then best friend was encouraging me to see a chiropractor because of a number of health issues I had. And um, I said, no, sounds interesting. I'll ask my mother. Why did I ask my mother? Well, because I was 16 years old. and that's You always ask your mother. <laughs> but she was no ordinary mother. She worked at the medical college. So I asked her, I said, what's a chiropractor? She kind of scowled as if I'd mentioned some loathsome disease and said, a chiropractor is someone who cracks your bones. I said, wait a minute, cracks your bones? You mean they fracture? She said, oh, you can hear them snap. I guess they must. And I thought to myself, I have got a serious contradiction to resolve here. You know, my, my friend, who's seemingly rational and certainly ambulatory, is telling me about how wonderful chiropractic is. And my mother is warning me about iatrogenic fractures. So I thought to myself, how can I find out more without risking life and limb? So I called a nearby chiropractor and it came up with a ruse. I told him I was doing a report for chiropractic uh, in one of my classes. I had to write an essay about it. 
after an interview. And he said, oh, okay, come on over. So I went over there and uh, he took me back into his office, closed the door and said, okay, ask your questions. And I asked him that question we've all been asked so many times. What is it that chiropractors do? And his response changed my life. He said, first of all, chiropractic is based on four simple ideas. The first is that the body is a self-healing mechanism. Cut your finger, it heals. Cut the finger of a corpse, it doesn't heal. Life heals. He said, second, the nervous system is the master system of the body. Every dimension of the human experience is processed through the nervous system. Every thought, every feeling, every action, every reaction, every part of your being is processed through the nervous system. Third, and it gave me goosebumps then and it still does today, <laughs> he said if there's interference with the function of the nerve system, it distorts your perception of the world and it compromises your ability to adapt to the world. Not only can it compromise your physical well-being, but it can result in psycho-emotional issues too. And when this happens to a significant number of people in a society, you have a sick society. And finally, he said, what I do as a chiropractor is locate and correct the cause of that interference. And I thought to myself, wow. So to make a long story short, I became his patient. He did his thing. Stuff I'd never even discussed with him got better. Yeah. Um, and as he had said, you don't know what, what feeling good is. And uh, indeed, uh, the level of energy, the level of enthusiasm for life, just so many wonderful things started happening. And one day he said, I think you should become a chiropractor. And I said, well, what does that entail? And he said, well, you have to make a pilgrimage to the People's Republic of Davenport, Iowa. And I said, Davenport, Iowa, why? And he said, well, that's where it's done. So uh, that's how I got into chiropractic. That's excellent. And how long was it from that, that around that time until you started? Was it a pretty quick turnaround? Oh, it was extremely quick. This was in the summer. Yeah. And uh he said, uh, have you completed two years of college yet? And I said, yes, I just completed my second year. He said, let me make a phone call. Back in those days, that's all you needed. Yeah, you just need Actually, to some places would still take you with a high school diploma, but that's another story. <laughs> so uh, he got on the phone and nods and he said, you know, puts his hand over the phone and said, uh, they got an opening next month. You want to go? And I said, that's it? He said, let me talk to him. Yeah. So, okay, he said, you're in. You're in. Said, uh, file an application. They'll, they'll send you the documents and so forth, and you can start next month. That's great. And I just said, okay. <laughs> and uh, I remember when I went there with all of my possessions packed in a couple cardboard boxes, and my mother, of course, was with me, and she was used to the University Medical Center, and she's looking around, and she said, if this is the largest and the finest, I'd hate to see the smallest and the worst. <laughs> oh, jeez. Well, because I was just there and the campus is yeah. very beautiful. Well, now, now it's beautiful. Oh, now it's, it's beautiful. In those days, you know, we didn't have any air conditioning. We had cement floors. We didn't have any of the fancy new buildings. Yes. And uh, it was a, a very different experience. And uh, 
She said, well, you mean now that you've seen it, you're going to stay? And she said, yes. So, so that's tell me, how it tell, all began. Tell me a little bit about your time at Palmer at those days. Well, in those days, it was very different. Um, mm -hmm. Almost all of the students in my class were either relatives of chiropractors, you know, son, daughter, niece, nephew, they somehow had a familial connection with chiropractic and grew up with it. Mm -hmm. Or they were people like me who had a positive personal experience with it. We didn't have many, if any, I can't think of one, but there may have been some, that were career shoppers that just said, well, you know, I think this would be fun to be a doctor and make money and have my own business. And maybe this is something to consider. Uh, we had people that were on fire about chiropractic, uh, either because they they lived with it or because they had that that positive experience. I remember we were required to live in the dormitory until we entered clinic or turned 21. And that was an experience because one of my roommates' father was a chiropractor, and he would come and he would share with us uh, green books. He'd I remember he let me borrow his copy of The Bigness of the Fellow Within, and we'd have uh, visits to a little bit of heaven and look at all the stuff in there that he had stories on and so forth. Uh, so it was a wonderful experience in that it was completely immersive. And mm -hmm. all of our teachers were chiropractors. Now, they may have had degrees in other areas as well, but they were all chiropractors, and they all related it to chiropractic. Uh, mm -hmm. You know, when we were doing biochemistry and he was talking about, you know, the Krebs cycle and gluconeogenesis and all of that kind of stuff. Um, he would talk about patients with diabetes that he had been able to help and what mechanisms of uh, neurobiological processes might have might have come into play there. So there was never any doubt um, regarding the power of chiropractic, if anything. Um, we, we had an exaggerated belief in our own very, <laughs> uh, let us say, undeveloped skills. Uh, yes. Oh, but, that's... Uh, as he said, and, and I'll never forget the day he said this, he had a, a, a skeptic heckler kind of guy who said, well, what do you do if you have a patient and you've examined them and you've adjusted them and they're just not getting any better? He said, well, then you redo your analysis and you find the subluxation you missed the first time. <laughs> that's awesome <laughs> so that was very different from yeah. what i experienced when i went to palmer west back in uh, let's see 1988 1990 taught there for a couple of years and i was just blown away by how much things had changed and how there was this musculoskeletal emphasis uh, rather than an understanding of how correcting vertebral subluxations affects the totality of the human experience. Yeah, because you, you so after you graduated, you, you, uh, you uh, taught at Palmer, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And, yeah. you know, another aspect of our education that uh, a lot of people didn't fully appreciate, I know I didn't, I didn't realize how cool it was to learn philosophy from Galen Price and to learn Thompson from Thompson and Gonstead from Gonstead and Blair right. from Blair. I mean, I could go, go on and on. But these people came to the college and they, they personally taught a lot of the courses. Um, and, you know, all, all the greats that you read about, uh, you know, we, we had live 
uh, first-generation exposure to these people. Yes. And as I said, we didn't fully appreciate it, but now I just think, how cool was that? That, you know, when he had to vacate the room at, at the college because it was getting late uh, and he wanted to continue, Dr. Gonstead came to our apartment where we happened to have a table and continued to demonstrate and, you know, staying up uh, listening to Reggie Gold until two or three in the morning and things like that. Those were experiences that, that really sculpted uh, the strength of my resolve in chiropractic even before I became a practitioner and, and did it. So after I graduated, I started practicing right away. In fact, due to a clerical error, I actually had a license before I graduated. Uh, you know, you, got, you could take the board before you graduated, yeah. um, the state board in those days, and uh, I had passed it. And uh, instead of just sending me the letter, they sent me the license. And I said, oh, this is kind of and I called him up and they said, no, wait until you graduate. Until you actually oh. graduate. Yeah. Yeah, until you actually graduate. But I, uh, that, that, that was fun. And, and it was then that I, I started to see what it could do uh, on a personal level and, and, and really changing people's lives. Although my, my intern experience was, was pretty awesome. Um, you know, a lot of people had their family and friends come in. But I came up with an interesting strategy. I stayed there during the summer break. So I got all the walk-in patients. And most of the walk-in patients, you know, really had issues that they'd been dealing with that hadn't responded to medicine and, and that did the chiropractic. But what dawned on me was, if I practice chiropractic, and I will, because I had to, um, just driven, right. uh, I said, what can I do to expand my influence even more? And I thought, well, if I can make more chiropractors, if I can become involved in that process, as well as seeing patients, I can multiply my influence. So that's how I got involved in education. Oh, that's great. And then, so you'd gone to Palmer and then, mm -hmm. and then did you go to Florida or something to practice or? Yeah, I was yeah. in Florida. Yeah. Um, and one of the things I was doing while I was in Florida, because, you know, here's another story. Um, I, had Reggie Gold called me up when I kind of got CCE'd out of Palmer. And he asked me if I would be interested in being academic dean at Adio in Pennsylvania. Mm -hmm. And I said, sure. So I went out there and I didn't realize all the tumultuous goings on uh, that ultimately resulted in Reggie resigning and him starting a new profession of spinology. Wow. And I became involved in that. and. Uh, like I like to tell people, how many people do you know that have slept in Reggie's Gold's bed? You know, um, he, he had me watch his dogs, you know, he and Irene. Yeah. And uh, Irene asked me if I would uh, teach some board reviews uh, for her. And I did that. And lo and behold, that's where I met Patrick. And we began our, our journey together. That is cool. And, and kind of how did that conversation come up to create on purpose in the first place? I'm very interested. Oh, well, the whole thing is really kind of, kind of interesting because, uh, you know, Patrick was taking this board review class and he came up to me at a break and he said, uh, let's have lunch. And I said, okay. So we had lunch and uh, he said, do you own this company? And I said, no. And he said, uh, you mean you, you get paid? 
by the program? I said, yes. He said, why don't you have a business of your own? And I said, well, I never really thought of myself as being a businessman. He said, I can do that. Let's start a business. And I just said, okay. It just seemed, I mean, I didn't know him from Adam. That's hilarious. (laughs) Uh, You seem naturally right. (laughs) it, It just all all came together and the way on purpose developed was actually before on purpose we had been developing the instrumentation of the, yes. the subluxation station mm-hmm. beginning with surface emg and then adding thermography and then adding heart rate variability and and uh, some other things and uh, we had received a mailing from a guy named jay abraham Oh, I don't really? know if you know yes, if I do. Abraham. Yes, yeah. yes. Um, and an interesting person to say the least. Yeah. And at that time, he uh, you know, no internet or anything. So what what did he send us? He sent us these mimeographed sheets uh talking about the various programs that he had to offer and so forth. And we never took one of his expensive programs, but what he did say was you need to find a service where you have recurrent revenue, something like a subscription. Yes. So we thought, okay, uh, we've got our finger on the pulse of chiropractic politics. Uh, yeah. I reviewed the science and have been, you know, writing on that for some time. And you know, we know some of the greats in terms of philosophy and practice management and the like. Why don't we start a subscription service? So it kind of was that seed planted by Jay Abraham that uh, that led to on purpose? And I don't know if we ever were able to acknowledge that with him and say, you know, Jay, you started this for us. But with his advertising, right? Just to give you the idea. Advertising, yeah. And what 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 I found particularly amusing was, you know, these these mimeograph sheets. And one of the first things he did was uh, apologize for that, saying, you know, uh, I. I can get this to more people by doing a simple mimeograph letter than if I had it printed that would delay things and yada, yada. So, so this, this is an interesting guy. That's awesome. Uh, but that's how, that's how On Purpose began. That's great. And and I'm so curious because like I think when I got out of practice, we got that subluxation station at the very beginning. Mm-hmm. Um, kind of tell us a little bit about why you decided to kind of look at the surface EMG. Like what what and, and thermography had been a little bit like with BJ and stuff like that. Thermography had been around for a while. Um, one of the things that we used to talk about in our lectures, uh, Patrick and I both, was that many chiropractors who understand the philosophy of chiropractic, who understand the devastating effects of vertebral subluxation, that understand the supremacy of the nervous system, had what was called the silent dread. And the silent dread was... I know this can happen, but I don't know that I'm consistently delivering it. Right. So we said, how can we objectively assess the manifestations of vertebral subluxation? We said, well, you know, there are basically two elements. There's the biomechanical component, the misalignment or loss of juxtaposition, as Stevenson said. Mm. And then there is the neurophysiological, you know, talking about... uh, the mental impulse in BJ's early writing. So we thought, hmm, one way of potentially quantifying the changes that we palpate 
might be looking at electrical activity in muscles. And I hooked up with some psychologists in California when I was at Palmer West that were using this um, as part of their assessment. And we simply adapted that technology and developed protocols for chiropractors uh, so that we did paraspinal surface EMG and could see changes in, in the somatic system. Um, but the other aspect, of course, is the autonomic system, which deals with organ, gland, and blood vessel function. So how could we assess that? We said, well, that already exists uh, in terms of skin temperature instrumentation. How can we improve on skin temperature instrumentation? And then I was reading about heart rate variability. And I said, this is really cool. Yes. Uh, it allows us to see how the body is responding to environmental dynamics. You know, there was a chiropractic college professor who shall remain nameless, who uh, was antagonizing me one day and said, you know, you chiropractors are wrong. The nervous system is the master system of the body. I can remove a heart from an animal, even from a human being, and it will beat without any connection to the nervous system whatsoever. And I said, well, let's continue this thought experiment. If the person that you removed the heart from was able to start running, would the heart in the jar beat faster in response to that increased physiologic demand? Oh. And I said, yes. I said, there's an intrinsic pacemaker. And, and it runs at about, you know, 100, 110 beats per minute. We don't operate there under normal circumstances. You know, why, why is the resting pulse 70? You know, it's somehow modulated by the nervous system. Oh, well, that's cranial nerve. It doesn't pass through the spine. And, you know, we went on and on, but it was yeah. a very interesting discussion. And, uh, and, and I'm just curious, when you, like, because yeah. we've, we've been, we're starting to do some work with Dr. Stephen Porges with the polyvagal theory. And, oh, yeah, uh, it's great stuff. And, and so he was developing like right around the same time. So did you guys, did you, did you uh, talk back well, and we, forth? Or? We never had a conversation. Um, we had a conversation with the HeartMath people that were doing some things and with several manufacturers, but, but never with Porges. And that's why you said when you talked about how uh, you had been involved with him and, and did a program with him, I'm thinking, let me bring up, I know you can't see this, but I can see it, um, talking about polyvagal theory and the idea that, you know, with the dorsal vagal system, I can't cope. You're collapsed. You're shut down. It's the freeze. Yeah. And then you, of course, get the sympathetic with the fight flight and the ventral vagal where I feel connected to the greater world. And about the time I was looking at this, I came across an amazing study in the BMJ. Uh, used to be the British Medical Journal back in 2008 called Dynamic Spread of Happiness in a Large Social Network. Longitudinal analysis of over 20 years in the Framingham Heart Study. Now that sounds boring. What's that got to do with anything? Well, they looked at happiness in nearly 5,000 people over a period of 20 years and found that when an individual becomes happy, the network effect can be measured up to three degrees. That is one person's happiness triggers a chain reaction that benefits not only their friends, but their friends' friends and their friends' friends' friends. 
<laughs> and that your happiness is influencing people you don't even know. And your happiness is being influenced by people you don't even know. And, and when you take this in the context of, of polyvagal theory and, and how that relates to social dynamics, we, you know, we begin to see how big this thing we call chiropractic is. You know, we know that when you adjust someone and you improve their health, of course it affects their family. Of course it affects their friends and coworkers. But until I saw the study, I had no idea how far that effect was. Yeah, that's and, amazing. Um, how, you know, BJ talked about, we never know how far reaching something we may think or say or do today will affect the lives of millions tomorrow. And you're affecting many more people than you're seeing on, on levels that you're not even aware of and they're not even aware of. Well, and what that's what it was intriguing to me is because I'd always been at seminars and always heard quotes yeah. from Dr. Stephen Porges and stuff. And sure. so, like, I just reached out to him to interview him because, and my wife, she's out been, of the blue. You just called yeah. him and said, Well, and I, yeah, and I, well, I just, well, his people, not himself, okay. but his people. And, uh, uh -huh. And yeah, and so he was interested. And then then all of a sudden we start talking. So once I, I looked into this more, a lot mm -hmm. of professions are like counseling, yoga, um, yes. all these different professions that are using this uh, theory to kind of explain what they're doing. But like, again, we have a program called the Vitality Shift and we, we use the surface MG thermography, HRV as the base, but we also do some neurological balancing tests, testing. We also do facial expression um, before after pictures with posture analysis. Mm -hmm. And when he found out that we basically do, we, we improve, we helped improve posture. We helped to improve proprioception. We helped to improve rib cage expansion. Um, we helped to dial down the tone, especially upper cervicals, all that. Mm -hmm. um, he was like so interested because I think out of all those things, we can get the body more ventral vagal a lot quicker than any other sure. profession. No and, question. And then that 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 engages the social engagement system, which is what we're talking mm -hmm. about, right? Where it, mm -hmm. it's all the cranial nerves to control facial expression, right. and that is that also helps to make other people in that uh, to become more socially engaged as well. So, mm -hmm. yeah, it's it's pretty cool. Um, one of the things that I was interested in is because during, since this pandemic and everybody's been basically dorsal dorsal collapse because they basically mm -hmm. the people that used to be fight or flight uh, their default mm -hmm. would go into sympathetics they're more dorsal because they are forced to stay inside so they're actually were immobilized they're not allowed to mm -hmm. move yeah exactly that the yeah and then the nervous system um we we're reading this up when it becomes a dysregulated nervous system where mm -hmm. it actually starts flopping back between dorsal vagal and sympathetics so That's a lot of chiropractors place to be I don't. And then this has been the frustrating for some chiropractors because it artificially looks like their HRV is good, mm -hmm. but it's kind of like kind of shooting back and forth, which, which is, mm -hmm. is so, so interesting. Had you, had you heard about that before? Well, what's it, what interests me and, you know, if I had the time and the money and maybe someday that will happen, I really want to start looking at the nonlinear analysis um, where people are looking at things like entropy where they're looking at things like, um, you know, nonlinear dynamics and so forth. And uh, I think that may give us information that the simple, you know, FFT, we're looking at power spectrum and so forth. Now, there's a lot of stuff in that signal. Mm -hmm. And we're, we're just starting to notice it. Uh, Donnie Epstein has done some work with um, uh, a number of scientists. One of them uh, is Dr. Jean Kerr. And he, 
asked us if we could design a Surface EMG system for him that didn't have any filters. And I said, well, we want to get rid of the noise. And he said, I said, there's information hidden in that noise. And my mathematical protocols look at that. So I think there's a lot available in the HRV signal um, that goes goes far beyond just the, the power spectrum analysis. Well, and it's funny because I was when I was talking to him, he said he found the same problem with the polyvagal theories chiropractors mm -hmm. did. He mm -hmm. said because the somatic nerves are quite linear, so they're a lot easier mm -hmm. to study as far as research yeah. goes. But the autonomics are network based, um, yes. and and so it's not like a A plus you know one plus two equals three. It's 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 more complicated. Oh, there's so much stuff going on that's that's altering it. And you know the biggest problem with with HRV is is bias because of the complexity of all the the confounding factors that can potentially influence it. Uh, but it's not as bad as we thought. Um, you know, as you know, at the subluxation station, we monitor uh, GSR as well as the HRV. Uh, there's also temperature in there. Most people don't know that, but we fingertip temperature is in there too. Um, and that's, that's how we determine if there's an autonomic arousal when you're looking at that line. Yeah. And, uh, you know, we thought, well, what can we do? Should we have them? Uh, do a counting task? Should we have them listen to ethereal music and, and uh, a controlled visual input of some sort? And we found it really didn't matter nearly as much as we thought, as long as their minds didn't wander and, and they started thinking about uh, someone who cut them off on the, on the road or something right. uh, and went to that stage. So we said, as long as we can assess the presence of either motion artifact or more importantly, uh, some sort of autonomic arousal that, that might contaminate the signal that that should solve most of the problem. Mm, interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. I just find that fascinating. And I found too, a lot of people that have been in that shutdown uh, state, we actually have to get like a wheat bag to warm up some people's hands because, because people, oh, yeah. they, they're, because of the so they're, they're sympathetic. They're, yeah, yeah. they're cold they, and they can't read it. <laughs> exactly. Um, you're, you're absolutely right. And you know, what recipe could you possibly come up with to make people sicker than to say, we're going to socially isolate you. We're going to mask you. So your identity and, and so all that mirror neuron stuff can't happen. And we're going to uh, limit your ability to go places and we're going to inject you with uh, a sliver of MNRA that's never really been tested adequately. And we're going to just impose horrific stress on you on every conceivable level. So, so the social connections break down. You're not going out. You're not exercising. You're not getting sunlight. Now you're vitamin D deficient on top of everything else. And, and, and you're suffering from deconditioning and you don't have people to talk to and you're afraid to touch people. And I mean, it goes on and on and on. This is a recipe for disaster uh, on a physical, biochemical and emotional level. And we're seeing those results. And the chiropractor is really the only one who has a technology powerful enough to influence all of those levels. Right. I've often said there are a lot of good things that you can do, and there are a lot of professions that are doing a lot of good, but I don't know of any one thing 
that one human being can do for another that has as many potentially positive outcomes as correcting the vertebral subluxation. Mm-hmm. Oh, no, I agree. Now, let's move forward. We, we've, you've, you've talked about the, the amazing career you've had. Now you're at Sherman. And can you give yeah. us like, everybody a little update of what's going on at Sherman and if there's any kind of cool news in science or anything that, that you'd like to share with people? Well, um, it's not as wild as you might think. Um, it's funny. Someone said, what's it like to work with Chris Ken? He said, it's not what you think. And, and that's probably true. Um, we have a lot of fun. Uh, I teach chiropractic history as well as evidence-informed practice and, and research methods. And, you know, although there haven't been any profound breakthroughs, there have been some pretty exciting breakthroughs in communication in that I've been invited to present to um, mental health professionals. I've been invited to present at a number of uh, neurology conferences and so forth. And the proof in the pudding is that they asked me back. So yeah. um, again, a lot of these are in other countries. And I have found that once you leave the bias and the uncritical idolization of, of pharmacotherapy-based medicine, and you get doctors who are saying, you know, we don't have all that stuff here. Uh, we're interested in things that might benefit patients um, without having to resort to drugs and so forth. And uh, it's it's really fun to see some of them really light up and that aha moment. Uh, I presented at a, at a local research symposium at the University of South Carolina Upstate. There were a lot of medical people there. And I was talking about chiropractic and mental health. Yeah. And that's something that most people don't even think about. And talking about Clearview and Forest Park Sanitarium and uh, the favorable changes that occur uh, in individuals under chiropractic care. And there was a flurry of, of interest where they said, well, have you ever considered working with inmates? And I talked about, well, you know, there, there was this house of reform uh, and the the um, person in charge of the House of Reform talked about how these reform school boys improved on, on so many levels and were able to leave the institution and go back to regular schools and the like because of the work done by the chiropractors. Mm-hmm. And I said, I think it would be great if we could work with inmates. She asked for my contact information. Never heard from that again. <laughs> um, you know. Uh, then there was another one who was talking about, you know, would you be interested in doing some community outreach work in our, in our uh, community center and so forth? I said, sure, we'd be happy to provide you with some chiropractors. Never heard from them. So excitement sometimes dissipates when American politics, let's right. say, adversely modulates the system. Yeah, exactly. Um, but we haven't quit. And uh I don't know what the next chapter will be for me, but uh, 50th year, got to do something. Well, that's cool. Who knows, right? Something might just pop in your lap, right? Who knows? Yeah. <laughs> that's awesome. So in closing, I always like to just have my guests, uh, you know, we have chiropractors out there and we just came back from London. We just did a seminar in London, England, and mm-hmm. and, and we've had all across, we've been doing them all across Canada and, and chiropractors cool. have been pretty stressed. Oh, and, yeah. Uh, 
And uh, so what, what kind well, of words? Canada has been a medical police state. I don't have to tell you that. <laughs> no, no, it's not. Yeah, it is. We, it's been, it's been very challenging. And so, so uh, what kind of words of wisdom or inspiration would you like to leave all the listeners with? Well, basically I'll, I'll close with something I've used in a number of seminars that I, I think kind of gets it. And that is that Victor Hugo is credited with having said, there's nothing more powerful than an idea whose time has come. And I say, I must respectfully disagree because the thing that's more powerful than that idea is a single individual who has the vision, the passion, the commitment, and the technical skill to make it a reality. And we're betting the future of humanity that that's you. Mm -hmm. Yes, those are powerful words. Thank you. So um, again, thank you so much uh, for taking the time to join us on here. It's a, it's, it's a pleasure to be able to interview after I've listened to you for so many different years. Oh, well, thank you. I mean, I, I love to do these kinds of interviews and, and reach people that I normally uh, might not. So it's awesome. Yeah. And so, and so loses nothing by lighting another candle. So exactly. Candles. No, and it was great information. So, and for everybody else there, I hope you all enjoyed that. And uh, until next time, shift on. Thank you for listening to the podcast. If you've received value from this episode, please share this with a fellow chiropractor and take some time to rate and review us on iTunes or wherever your favorite place is to listen to podcasts. If you're interested in learning more about our programs and events, please visit www.thevitalityshift.com or connect with me on Facebook. I would love to hear from you. So until next time, Dr. Don out.